All right, Saul Company, you guys can take a seat. Hey, who's excited to be here at Saul Company tonight? Come on. What a great time. The worship band, please, let's hear it for them. They're great. Very cool. Man, it is good to be with you guys tonight. Ooh, wow, this is a good vibe. Good for you guys. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I'm on staff here with this college ministry. And tonight, we're starting a new series called The Heart, God's Heart, not the Heart of God, God's Heart. As we do four weeks through four minor prophets to see the heart of God and ask him to make his heart our heart. So we're really, really excited for this opportunity. Tonight, we'll be starting in Habakkuk. Which if you're like, what the heck is that? It's a book in your Bible. You can look for it. Check your table of contents. I honestly didn't know where it was, so it will be helpful for you. Before we jump in, just one quick thing. Just wanted to say thank you so much if this is your first time here at Salt Company. We recognize that every single week there are plenty of you guys who have never been here before. And we want to say thank you so much for taking the step of faith to enter into a space like this. We're so thankful for that. Tonight we'll be in Habakkuk. In my Bible, it's page 1020, but that's not going to be helpful for you. So hopefully it's helpful, the table of contents. Let me pray as we enter into our time together. Father, what a joy it is to gather here in this place. Oh, man, Jesus. Every time I see this crew, I'm amazed by your faithfulness. I'm blown away by your mercy. I'm shocked by your kindness that in 2023, there would be hundreds of college students all around the city of St. Paul gathered together to worship your name. Father, thank you that tonight is not about Salt Company. Tonight is not about me. Tonight is not about any of us, but it is about you, that your word would be lifted high, that your words would speak into the hearts of many, and that people would leave this place different. Father, we pray that this wouldn't just be a normal Thursday, but that you would move in a mighty way specifically for people who are uncomfortable in this moment, that feel shocked by what's happening in this place, pray that you would actually soften their hearts and that they would be able to hear you. Father, thank you that you are holy and righteous and kind. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, have you ever been shook to the core? Okay? If I say one word, this is about to shake like all of you guys. Canvas. Ooh. You got a 25 on your last midterm. You don't even know how you got that. And it's a multiple choice, you know. It's like, did I just, did I even bring anything to the conversation? Some of you guys feel that. Second thing that shakes me up, when you look at your bank account, and you're like, I've only had Chipotle seven times this week. I've been saving money, you know. But you're like broke as heck. Shakes you up. One thing that got me the other day is when your phone alarm goes off, but it's under your bed. Wow. I mean... That, that's horrible. You're like, I'm up, I'm up, please, stop. But you can't, you can't voice dictate it. Shocking, shakes you up. You guys know how this goes. Hard right turn, okay. May 25th, 2020, a date that shook our generation to the core. It was a day in Minneapolis when we all watched the video of a man get his dignity, his life, and his breath choked out of him with a knee. It was on that day that I believe our generation's collective consciousness woke up. Because listen, guys, here's, here's kind of been the message that was told to our generation. If you just educate people enough, 
If you give economic opportunity, if you have technology, then one day we'll finally, as a generation, as a people, enter into a time and a space and a utopia where suffering and evil like that doesn't happen anymore. But not only did that happen, but because of the phones in our pockets, we become aware to more injustice and brokenness in the world than we could ever imagine. That the very iPhone in my pocket has minerals, not, you know, sustain, like not sustainably harvested from some like bougie, gluten-free, vegan thing in Silicon Valley, you know? You know what I'm saying? Like that's what I imagined it to be. But in actuality, those minerals that work your iPhone that gave you an opportunity to upgrade from a 10 to a 14 is actually harvested from the raping and pillaging of African villages. Then in 2023, North Korea has concentration camps that would rival the gulags of the Soviet Union. Why am I telling you this? Really dark start, I understand. I'm telling you this because I think our generation has kind of given up in the Western secular scheme of a utopia to come from education, economic improvement, and technology. And we've come to this place as a generation where we're asking ourselves, the world is far more broken than, than I ever knew. There's far more injustice that floods the streets. There's far more brokenness across the ocean. And there's far more pain in my campus, in my city, than I can ever imagine. And so what do we do with that? As a pastor, I've seen three different responses to a broken world like that. Response one is to give up. This is your classic move out to a suburb, get me a pick, picket fence, and don't worry about that crap mentality, okay? You've met people like this. Hey, there's all this pain in the world. But the universe has a plan. That's what they say. But they're like, what? And you're like, I don't understand it. They give up. It's cognitive dissonance embodied. It's basically saying, I know there's brokenness out there, but I'm going to critique culture and just stand over in my little camp. The second option is to give in. This is actually significantly more common amongst your age group to say, you know what? Because I see a broken world, that means that God cannot be real. And if God is real, then he cannot be good. And if there is a God who is real that is not good, I'm not going to believe in him. So I'm going to ditch everything Christianity, ditch all of my theological roots, but against all institution and actually give in to culture. Instead of being a disciple to Christ, I'll be a disciple to culture, more formed by culture than by Christ. To give in. Now, obviously, I've painted these as relatively negative, okay? So there must be a third way. Yes, there is. Third option, to go deep. To say with your soul that you will double down on Jesus in your coming years. To say, I'm going to put a stake in my ground and ask God to help me be a part of the redemptive vision that he has for my campus and my city. To not give up, to not be cognitive dissonant, to not just kind of shoo off the culture over there, to not be consumed by culture, but actually be a part of the redemption of culture. That God has a plan to bring heaven down to earth, to bring his kingdom into your campus and your kingdom into the city of St. Paul. And you are invited to be a part of it. To go deep. So the question tonight is, how do we go deep in a broken world? Open up your Bibles with me to Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk, 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 I don't know. You guys know. You're like, what does it sound like? Just say it fast. Habakkuk, say it fast, and no one will know. Habakkuk chapter 1. You guys know that's how it works with preaching. You just say things fast, and it's fine. Three things we need to know if we want to live a life of depth. If we want to go deep, we need to be honest. We need to be honest. We need to learn how to wait to be patient, and we need to remember. Open up your Bibles with me to Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 1. Here's what verse 1 says. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? 
Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. My strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. The justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. I know. He just comes out swinging, like swinging at God. You know, whose man is this? God's man. Okay, he's a prophet. I know. I know. I was like, who is this? And I was like, oh, God chose him. He's a prophet, a spokesperson of God. This is Habakkuk, a minor prophet in your Bible. This happened about, this was written about 2,700 years ago. Pretty relevant, pretty exciting. I know. Here's Habakkuk. He is in the middle of a declining society. That's where he's living. And the people of Judah, as injustice and rampant disobedience to God floods the streets of Judah. As everything around him burns. And the idea of people who fear and know God are basically dissipating. And he's going to God and he's saying, God, where are you? He's saying, I see the injustice all around me. I see the brokenness all around me. I see the pain all around me. Where are you, God? Here's what I want to show you in the first four verses that I think is actually really beautiful. Habakkuk is brutally honest with God. Here's what I want to teach you here in Habakkuk chapter 1. If you want to live a life of depth, if you don't want to give up and give in, but you want to go deep with God, you're going to have to be honest with him. Question is why? Because honesty leads to depth. Okay, do you guys have a friend in your life where you can say anything to them? Do you know what I mean? Like the best friends. You know, you guys are roommates. Ooh, pillow talk, talking about your crushes, your dreams, your ambitions, your crushes. Do you still do those? You do. You do. I get it. Anyways. But the best part is when you can say something that you know they don't want to hear. You know what I'm saying? Like you go up to them and you're like, you kind of stink right now. <laughs> you ever do that to someone? You know how close you have to be with someone to comment on their scent? Does that make sense? Like how close you have to be. And the best part is when you call that out and they're like, you know what? You're right. Okay, I haven't showered in two weeks. I mean, okay. Two weeks is a bit much. Two days. I meant to say two days. Not two weeks. Oh, my gosh. Then everyone would be like, oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's true friendship. When you can just be like, you stink, and they're like, you right? Like, that's, that's depth. That's honesty. Okay, here's my point. Not just trying to comment on your sense. You all smell great. I walk by some of you. You smell delicious. Great. Delicious is the wrong word. You smell fantastic. That's a bummer. Moving on. Moving on. We can do this. We can do this. This is a bummer. If you're new here, I try to be better, but I'm not yet. Anyways, moving on. Let me just bring it in. If, if honesty leads to depth in human relationships, then maybe it's true that honesty could lead to depth in your relationship with God. Why do I say that? I believe the main reason why many of you are stuck in surface-level spirituality with God is because you've never actually been honest with him. You've been talked to, talk to, your, to God like he's your professor. God, let me pass this test of life and get into heaven. You've been taught to say some pretty prayers. You've been taught to always say the right things to God. And so the only times you talk to him is before you eat or when you need something from him. But you've never actually told him your heart. What if what the Bible actually calls you to do is not say pretty prayers to God, but talk to him like he's your father, talk to him like he's your friend? What if tonight, 
After service, we're going to do a time of reflection. What if tonight you would actually be honest with God for the very first time? And you would start praying things like, God, I'm angry at you. I'm mad that my parents got divorced when I was six years old. I'm pissed. I'm frustrated that I've been struggling with depression and anxiety for six years and you haven't healed me completely. I am overwhelmed constantly and I feel like I'm drowning and I feel alone and I feel like you don't love me. What if for the very first time tonight you could actually tell God what was actually on your heart? Here's what I think that would lead to. Actual depth in your soul. See, Habakkuk was brutally honest with God. And that led to a deep well. His honesty let him go deep. Okay, second thing we see in this text. It's if we want to go deep, we need to wait. Look with me to Habakkuk 2. Turn an entire chapter. Habakkuk 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. And I will answer concerning, I will answer concerning, concerning. That was pretty tough, I'll say it. I'll say what you're thinking. Concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to an end, it, do, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Chapter 1 is all about Habakkuk questioning God. God, where are you? I've seen justice and brokenness all around me. I see pain all around me. I'm not trying to sugarcoat what I'm feeling. I'm asking you, where are you? Will you come through? And the God's answer is, yes, yes. I will come through. I do have a plan. And then he hits Habakkuk with, but wait. Now, if you're Habakkuk here, you're like, wait a minute. Wait a day. Wait a week. Why wait? God just says wait. God doesn't give him a direct answer to his prayer but actually calls on him to wait. Now, this is really frustrating because I don't know about you, but we live in an immediate gratification culture. When I buy something online and it says five to seven business days, I'm like, this was a stupid mistake. <laughs> like, I'm like, prime now. Like, I want two days maximum. Like, I'm like, two days max, maybe one day, if not right now. Like, I want right now, you know? Here's a loose point that I'm about to make. God is not Grubhub. He's not Uber Eats, okay? He's not Prime Now. God is like a three-star Michelin chef. When you go to his restaurant, you get the food when he tells you. You know what I'm saying? You don't order no food. He gives you the food whenever he wants to give it to you. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. Maybe there's actually purpose between the prayer and provision. This is something that I call the space between. The space between the time when you pray and ask God to come through for you and the time that he actually comes through for you. Maybe it's actually in that space that God wants to create in you a well so deep, a faith so real, a commitment to him that cannot be shaken or taken from you. Maybe it's actually in the space between that God wants to transform you. There's a quote from John Piper that I found so helpful to me, that God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. Which I was like, 
That one hurts, God. Oh. But maybe it's actually in the space between that God has 9,997 other things that he's doing in your life. Maybe when you think that he's actually, he's abandoned you, that he's actually coming through for you. Does it make sense? Maybe it's actually in the space between the time that you pray for healing and you receive it, that you actually find out that you're not here to worship God to get gifts from God. You are here to worship God to get him. Maybe it's in the space between that God does the deepest transformative work in our soul. So the question tonight is why wait? Why does he make us wait? And the reality is it's because he wants to make us depthful followers of Jesus. He will not he will not let you stay at some surface level spirituality and let you think that's what it means to live in the fullness of joy that he has for you. He will invite you deeper. Okay, so what does it look like to wait? It means to practice patience, right? Here's what Keller says about patience. This one hurt my brain, so I'm going to read it real slow. Patience is the deliberate laying down of the burden of assumed omniscience. Zero percent of us got that. <laughs> We're like, what does it mean? Here's what it means in layman terms. I had to think about it for like five minutes. It means to admit that you are not God. It means to say, God, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're doing. You're doing 10,000 things in my life. You're doing 10,000 things in Jalil's life. You're doing 10,000 things in Bell's life. And if you do the math, you're doing 10,000 things in 8 billion people's lives. So, of course, I don't know what you're doing. Patience is saying, listen, I will take off the burden of assuming that I know what's best for the world and that my timing is better than his. If you're a take, note taker, I want you to write this down. That God's timing is rarely preferred, but it is always perfect. He never gives you what you want when you want it. I mean, sometimes, but like very rarely. But he always comes through for you in the moment that you need him the most. God's timing is rarely preferred, but it is always perfect. Here's why this is so important for you. Waiting produces deep faith. What does it mean to believe in God? Does it just mean that you believe in him ethereally? Does it mean that you just believe in him so you get out of hell? Or does it mean that you believe in him to the point that you give your entire life over to him? If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven and earth, then you can trust him with the next three years of your life. That was very funny. I was like, wow, interesting response, but I like it. Waiting will produce a deep faith in you that an easy life never could. Something that I heard from a pastor that I've really appreciated is easy paths make sleepy Christians. Easy paths make sleepy Christians. This is for the front row. Okay. Do you want to be a sleepy Christian for the rest of your life or do you want to go deep? If you want to go deep, here's what God will do to you. He will give you space between the prayer and his provision. He wants you to be deep. The second reason why this is important is if you don't know how to wait, you'll give in. I've seen this time and time again where people in your generation will look at a world that is broken and say to God, God, because you're not healing the world on my timetable, you must not be real. So I'm going to give in and actually say culture is better than Christ at healing our culture. Does that make sense? You're going to give in and say, God, I don't need you anymore. I don't want that old religious hypocrisy 
institution crap. I'm going to go fix the world on my own through culture. I'm going to give in. But here's what you need to know as a Christian. Following Jesus is a waiting game. It just is. Every stage of your life, you will wait. Charles Spurgeon said this. If the Lord Jehovah makes us wait, let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are all they that wait for him. He is worth waiting for. The waiting itself is beneficial for us. It tries faith. It exercises patience. It trains submissions and endures the blessing when it comes. The Lord's people have always been a waiting people. If you follow Jesus, you will spend your life waiting on him to come through for you in ways that you could never come through for yourself. But here's what I can promise you, that the space between, between produces depth. Okay, last thing we see in Habakkuk. We're going to Habakkuk 3. We're going to see that we need to remember. If we want to go deep, if we don't want to give up or give in, we need to remember. Look with me to Habakkuk 3, verse 17 through 19, at the end of the chapter. And here's what it says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer's. He makes me tread on high places. This passage, like, makes me tear up reading it. Because some of you guys have felt the situation of Habakkuk's in. When everything's gone off the rails. He's got no fruit. He's got no animals. He can't do Uber Eats. He's got nothing. He's out here starving. The people of God have gone downhill. There is no hope for Habakkuk in this life. There is no celebration, only mourning. And some of you guys have felt this, and some of you guys are in this. Where you've gotten to the end of yourself and you're thinking to yourself, there's nothing else in this life that can satisfy me. There's nothing else in this life that I can look forward to. There's no hope in this place. Habakkuk in verse 17 is completely honest. He's saying, God, there's nothing left for me here. But I love what he says in verse 18. But even though that's true, I will rejoice in you. Can you imagine this? You've lost your family, your friends, your food, your career, your ambition, your dreams. Everything has gone away. You have nothing left. And your answer is not to God. God, I hate you. Your, God, your answer is, God, I rejoice in you. So the question is how? How does Habakkuk rejoice? And the answer is one word, remember. See, okay, verse 17 through 19 as Habakkuk saying, even though everything has gone astray, I still have joy in you. But verses 1 through 16 is actually Habakkuk remembering the faithfulness of God. If you read through this chapter, it's one of the most beautiful things as Habakkuk remembers the way that Yahweh was faithful to Israel. He was faithful to bring them out of slavery. He was faithful to bring them across the wilderness. He was faithful to give them kings. He was faithful to Israel. See, the reason why Habakkuk was able to rejoice in the midst of suffering is because he was able to remember. So here's what I want you to see. If you want to live a life that's deep, you need to learn how to remember. You need to get into the silent place. Take time this week. Take time tonight. Take time in places of your week to actually get away and to remember God's faithfulness to you. To write down moments when you felt like you were going to give up. 
when you didn't know if there could be a tomorrow and God came through for you. Write down moments when you're addicted to pornography and you couldn't go a single day without looking at porn and God came through for you. So look at moments when your parents got divorced or that guy broke up with you or you experienced that trauma or you experienced that abuse and God came through for you. If you want to go deep with God, you need to learn how to remember. Habakkuk knew how to remember the faithfulness of God. So in review, if you want to go deep, here's what you need to know. You need to be honest with God. None of that pretty prayer crap anymore, okay? If you were here in the fall, we talked about ugly prayers. Remember ugly crying? Ah, ugly prayers. Do that. Be honest with God. Don't settle for surface level Christianity. Go deep with him. Second thing I want you to know is if you want to go deep, you need to learn how to wait. Listen, I hate waiting. I know. But waiting is the only way in the space between that God will actually transform you. So you need to become a waiting person. But the third thing I want you to see in this text is that if you want to go deep, then you need to remember. You need to intentionally spend time remembering the faithfulness of God in your life. As I call the worship band back up. Here's what I want to show you in Habakkuk, okay? I love Habakkuk. He's a great guy. He's not the point of this sermon. Habakkuk is but an echo to a future prophet who would come. Habakkuk is not the end of the story. He's the beginning of the story to a Jesus, a greater Habakkuk. Remember how we started off the sermon? We don't want to give up or give in, but we want to go deep. Praise God that he looked at a broken world and didn't give up on us. Amen? Praise God that he looked at my sin and didn't say, you know what? I don't want to deal with you today. But he didn't give up on me, and he pursued me. Praise Jesus that in his ministry, he didn't give in to the culture and religious circles around him. But he said, I'm going to make a new way. Instead of giving up or giving in, I'm going to go deep into the heart of God and redeem his people for his glory. See, the simple reality of Habakkuk is it's not just about God redeeming a broken world. It's about King Jesus redeeming your broken soul. And the sin in your heart, the brokenness in your soul was so broken and would send you to eternity apart from him forever. And see, so he said, I'm not going to give up or give in. I'm going to go deep and get you. So in response, Saul come to, here's our vision. We're not here to make some give up disciples, okay? I'm not interested in some surface level cultural Christianity crap. We're not. If you want the easy stuff, I'm sorry, but Saul Company's not for you. If you want the stuff where you can just kind of manage Jesus on the side, Listen, we love that you're here, but the vision for you is so much more. That's not real Christianity. To marginalize Jesus on the side of your life and say, I'm just going to give up on actually being a part of God's redemptive plan. That's not what Jesus is inviting you to. But we also don't want to make give-in disciples who pledge allegiance to Jesus by their name but are really discipled by culture. We will push hard against the ideologies of this world, I want to convince you that Jesus is not Lord. He's just a nice person. Jesus is king. And we are going to make disciples that are not give up disciples or given disciples, but go deep disciples who say, Jesus Christ, I want to give you my life. I want to put my stake in the ground and say, I want to be a part of the redemptive work you're doing in St. Paul. I want to see the kingdom of God crash into this city. Not just gently rub in. I want to see it crash into the city. And the only way that happens is if we plant our stake in the ground and say we're going to be go deep disciples. That's the vision of our ministry. And I want to invite you in and say, 
Some of that surface level Christianity stuff, that stuff will go away when you talk to God. That stuff will go away when you wait on him. That stuff will go away when you remember his faithfulness to you. Okay. I didn't know if I was going to do this, but I'm going to be honest. Some of you guys know my story and how I struggle with depression and anxiety. That's just pretty consistent in my life. And I want to make this personal to you. On Tuesday, I, I didn't get out of bed for like four hours. Just laid in bed. Because I was overwhelmed with sadness about the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of my mind. And I didn't have this. I mean, I had to prep this message, but I was like, I don't believe any of this right now. But while I was in that moment of desperation, Jesus Christ was so gracious to me. And he was just like, Tom, why don't you just be honest with me? And I told him, I was, I'm bitter at you that you have not healed me of my depression yet. I was honest with God. I'm angry at you. There's so much pain and brokenness in this world. I'm frustrated that you have not come through in every way that I've prayed. And as I was honest with God, he invited me to wait for him. He said, Tone, I hear what you're he saying, but I want to do something in you in the space between. I want you to know my love in a visceral and depthful way. And then I just started to remember. I started to remember moments when I was in that bathroom, when I was 17 years old, addicted to porn and how God came through for me. I started to remember when I was 20 years old and I told God, I will forgive everyone else in my life except my father. I started to remember my first therapy sessions where God started to move in my trauma and pain and I started to remember God's faithfulness to me. Listen, this is not a story of Habakkuk doing things out there. This is a story of God inviting you into a depthful relationship with him. All of us need this. I need this. I need to be reminded of a God who would not give up on me or give into the culture and religion of his day, but go deep to get me. I need this. So in this next moment, I'm not going to pray, but I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, to put your hands out if you want to and you feel comfortable with that. I'm just going to speak some words over you and invite you to reflect on your relationship with God. Some of you in this room, you've never actually spoken to Jesus. You've given him some pretty prayers, but you've never given him the honest truth. So some of you tonight actually need to tell him, God, I don't believe in you. I don't actually have my faith in you. I don't know you, but I want to. I want to know you, Jesus. I'm angry at you for this. I'm frustrated with this. I am overwhelmed by my sadness, but I want you. Some of you tonight need to just pray that prayer and say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to be honest with you. For some of you tonight, you are caught in the space between. You prayed a prayer one, two, six years ago that has not been fulfilled yet. You are in the space between the prayer and the provision of God. And what God wants to show you tonight is that he is cultivating a deep faith within you in the space between. So would you ask him tonight to give you deep roots in the midst of your pain? And for all of us tonight, if you here know Jesus, spend these next moments remembering the faithfulness of God to you. In every moment you wanted to give up, in every moment where you felt like you couldn't take another step, in every sinful moment, in that morning after, in your lowest moment, God has been faithful to you. And if that's true, then all these things will drive you into a deep relationship with him. 
So let's spend the next couple moments reflecting on the faithfulness and goodness of God.